0: I want to continue our discussion of the great beast, the one with seven heads and ten horns. Now I want to to delve into perhaps one of the most difficult series of scripture, of scripture passages, as they relate to prophetic scriptures. And so what I want to do is here at the beginning of this section. Which we we have already started, but I'm backtracking in order to lay up very precisely foundations for the understanding of what is otherwise opaque uh, scripture, opaque prophetic scripture that lends itself to much in the way of speculation. But the scriptures do say that in the time of the end, Uh, there will arise men of understanding. Now I must say that understanding is one of the seven characteristics of the Spirit of God. He has the Spirit of Lordship, the Spirit of uh, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, counsel, power and the fear of the Lord, the seven spirits of God and so there will be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days to specifically bring understanding. So it it is not that men are smart or can figure things out, unless the Lord reveals what He has written we can't know what it means. And there's a time of revelation consistent with when these things must come forth. Even Daniel sought revelation in chapter 12 as to when the things he himself wrote about would come to pass. But he was told to go his way, he'll sleep in the dust of the earth. These things did not concern him but He will awake in the last day. Such things were told to him however as, um, it will be the things he had written about from chapter 7 onward uh, and specifically in chapter 12, he was told these things would occur when the power of the holy people has been finally broken then these things will occur. Um, The holy people at times referred to the nation of Israel, however, in the references to Daniel, in Daniel and the sequence in which these things were meant to occur, uh, when you also consider uh, passages like the tenth chapter of the book of Ezekiel, you will see that it was always meant for the glory of God to depart from the temple and by that natural Israel and to move and rest upon that which is characterized as the four living creatures or the corporate man, which is inclusive inclusive of such Jews as accept Christ. Now I know it's very popular and certain evangelical leaders have made a point of suggesting that Israel has a place with God that does not include Christ, that God made a special covenant with Israel uh, that through Abraham that does not include uh, coming to God through Jesus Christ. Now, that to me is the spirit of antichrist. That is so false, so wrong and it doesn't help the Jews, it doesn't help the Jews because there is no other way to God. From the beginning it was always understood there could be no other way to God except through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and that's because what God established when He created the heavens and the earth was the platform on which He would demonstrate His love to us as Father and a relationship that would be afforded us as sons. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we might be called sons of God. There is no provision for the Jews as the descendants of Abraham to be anything other than the sons of Abraham. But the, the, the promise was in two parts, I will make of you a great nation, which would be Part number one, which would be natural Israel. And part number two is, and in thy seed. And Galatians makes a point, Galatians 3, makes a point of distinguishing between seed and seeds. Seeds would reference the nation of Israel, seed is an exclusive reference to Christ. He comes through the lineage of Abraham, but He is the seed of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. It is in this capacity, the Son of God, that He would be the Mashiach, the Messiah, the one with the anointing to reconcile men to God. So, no, I don't care how popular these preachers are, I don't care whether they're on television, I don't care how famous their books are, they are wrong. There is no other way to God because it's not about going to heaven for crying out loud, it's about having a relationship to God as a son of God as a son has a relationship to a father. Because our purpose in this earth is to put the nature of the father on display as the corporate son. Now that's the thing that the enemy intends to oppose. And part of the blasphemous things that this little horn we talked about, referenced in Daniel and the Revelation, that speaks is an attempt to change the set times, an attempt to change the laws and to pervert an identity from the Spirit to the flesh and deception will come at a pace like a flood in the last days. The same thing is true, I know it's common in this um, ecumenical world where people are trying to find peace by any means possible and the recognition that religion is one of the... or religions are in in aggregate the most divisive uh, uh, institution among humankind, whether that... Religion is Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, and all the subdivisions and the different forms of that. It's common to say, it is very common in this time, to say that there are many paths to the one God. That's simply not true. What do you mean by paths to the one God? What is the goal? For many, it's nirvana or for many, it is paradise, for others the same thing is described as heaven and the like. So it's all a destination, religion has nothing more to offer you than a destination. So in that sense, if this were correct, that it's a destination, we are to go to some version of heaven as described by the various um, scriptures used by the various groups, then okay, maybe that's correct, many paths to the one destination. But it is not a destination, it is a relationship to God and that relationship is exclusively through the One whom God sent. He sent Him because apart from Him, there was no basis for a relationship to God. And that relationship, properly described, is that of a Father who is God and a Son who is Christ, not so much Jesus, Jesus is the form, the human form, in which the Christ, the Spirit Being, appeared. And He's called the Christ, He's called the Mashiach, the Anointed One, because of what His anointing was about. It was an anointing to reconcile men to God through Himself. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Now, the enemy intends to thwart that and to wage war against the corporate man, which we've described variously as the man above the water. Uh, He's been described further as the four living creatures and so on, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, sons of God, the house of God and so on. So it is not obscure as to who the saints are. Israel in the ancient world was a prophetic type and shadow of this, but the original intent was that in the seed of God, the seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, reconciliation to God as Father would occur. That the purpose of any Son and the purpose of this Son, the Son of God, is to be the exact representation of the invisible Father. Such a son is the man in the image and likeness of God. This is what the original conflict between God and Satan was all about. A creature, an angel, deciding that He should have been the Heir. This is the prize of all creation, the heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And that joint heirship is not just with Christ, it is in Christ. Hence the last of John's teachings, or the last of the record of John, uh, in the gospel of John, the seventeenth chapter, in which he says, he records the prayer of Jesus, in which Jesus says, Father, let them, all those whom You have given Me, and not only those, but those who believe in in Me through the words of the One that I'm sending, and in John 20 He would send, in the way He was sent, John 20, 21, "...all those whom You have given to Me concerning them," He said, "...let them be one in the manner in which You and I are one." You are in Me, I am in You. And we've unpacked that uh, many times in previous messages, you are in Me, I am in you, let them be one in us that the world might believe that you sent Me. So it's not a mystery that there had to be the corporate man. And such a corporate man was viewed from heaven and from earth in prophetic scriptures in the first chapter of Ezekiel and again in the tenth chapter of Ezekiel as this creature the four living creatures with the face of an ox, uh, with four faces, one of the faces being that of an ox, that face is called the karub, which is the Hebrew word for ox, which is translated to the word cherub, karub, cherub. So it's also referred to because of its indomitable, um, unyielding commitment to the truth the following the truth it has the characteristic of the ox it also has the characteristic of a lion because of jesus is this characteristic as well uh, the conquering lion of the tribe of judah who would say i only do what i see my father doing so behaving as an ox and the eagle the One who is not of this world, though He came into the world, like the eagle that moves between the realms of heaven and earth. So the spirit of the eagle, which of course references the Spirit of Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy. And then finally, clothed in flesh, the Godhead He, hail incarnate, Deity, pleased as man, with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. You remember that from the Christmas carol, Hark the herald angels sing. Now, so the opposition to the corporate man and all of the manifestation of the corporate man which is especially inclusive of the forms in which Jesus, in which the the saints are described in Scripture, the opposition to the corporate man, is the is the subtext that runs right along or right parallel to the, the prior text. The prior text is how we are to be revealed in Christ at the end of the age, which is God's intent a man in the image and likeness of God. But the subtext is the opposition to that and it enters since the Garden of Eden. And in its behavior then, we continue to observe its growing insistence in overthrowing that which God has established to, to refute The claim of the demonic that they belong rightfully as the heirs of God. So this these two themes, sons of God, being demonstrated as the image and likeness of the Father, um, and the the whole the, the 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 above ground, the clear and obvious text is that, and how it is destined to reach maturity and its maturity is defined by, quote, "...the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ," Ephesians, the, fifth, the fourth chapter, at the end of the fourth chapter, or close to the end of the fourth chapter. But also is the text, the serpent opposing the sun. From the garden, now the serpent is variously described as quote that old serpent, the devil, or Satan. another word for that's also used to describe uh, Satan is the ruler of the darkness of this world and the word ruler is the word and also the God of this world, the world that opposes or the manner in which this opposition to God is formulated and advanced throughout Scripture. Now every, and, and that word is kosmokrator, K-O-S-M-O-K-R-A-T-O-R. Every time the sun appeared in the earth, Every time the sun appeared, the devil will appear to destroy the sun. Every time. When Adam first appeared, the devil appeared in the garden to destroy the sun. When a type of Christ appeared, the deliverer of people out of Egypt, Egypt being a type and shadow of economic. Entrapment and slavery, every time the sun appeared. When, when Moses appeared, the devil also appeared to try to destroy him. In the form, of course, of the ruler then. A type then of the Cosmocrator, the god of this world, is a, a Pharaoh in Egypt when Israel is taken, and Israel is the type and shadow of this reality, when Israel is taken into Babylonian captivity, Daniel is preeminent as one who maintains the word of the Lord amongst the people in Babylon and puts on display the courage of the Son in the face of the opposition and Nebuchadnezzar is a form of the Cosmocrata who throws him into the lion's den. These are not the exclusive references, they're some of the types and shadows. And when the sun actually appeared on the earth, approximately the, the year BC 3 or AD 1, depending on your point of view, of history, when he came of age and was presented at the age of thirty, the devil appeared in the temptation in the wilderness and in everything he does, command these stones be made to be made into bread or uh, bow down and worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world or cast yourself down because it is written, He will give His angels charge over it. In all the temptations the theme is the same, to destroy the Son. Now, the enemy has crafted a way of doing that, uh, but let me tell you before we get to that, let's look at Revelation chapter 12 verse 1 and following and this is the final appearing to destroy the corporate sun. It says, "...Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars." The number twelve, of course, is the number of government, Stars indicate authority or positions of greatness. So the woman here is typically the church, she appeared in heaven. Now might I point out that the reference to the stars of the heavens, going back since the time of Genesis, where the, where the stars were put in the heavens to signify events to occur on the earth. So when Jesus was born came into the world, the Bible speaks of wise men following His star, we have seen His star in the east and have come to worship Him. They weren't coming just to see a king being born, they brought the exalted gifts that one would give to a king, but they said, We have we've seen a star in the east, we have come to worship Him. So they knew He was the living God. When the star known as the desire of the ages appeared in the constellation Virgo, wise men understood that in the earth, out of a virgin, a son was to be born. So in this regard, we have a replay Of that classic reference in Scripture to signs in the heavens above. All right? I don't want to unpack this right now, but I just wanted to give you a hint at it. The woman being with child was crying out in labor pains, in labor and in pain to give birth. That's the classic reference from Jesus Himself. concerning the end of the age, like a woman in labor. It says, "...and then a great another sign appeared in heaven, Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns on his heads." Now again, the point being that the enemy has pursued the corporate man throughout history. So, when we go back to where we were in, uh, in Daniel, Daniel 7, he begins to set up the principle of how this great beast, which is the agent of the devil, how He appears on the earth with the express intent of opposing the saints. Now, every time the enemy has appeared to oppose what God is doing, he kills all if he can in order to kill the One. And God uses this, procedure to bring judgment upon the false and idolatrous uh, uh, um, behavior of mankind consistent with the deception of the enemy. I understand that in our time, people value human life as the ultimate value and that without any reference to divine purpose. Let me say, human life has no particular value apart from the purposes of God. That's how God sees it. That's how God sees it. When God is ready, every disobedient person will experience the wrath of God and that wrath is destruction. This is not political, this is not current philosophy that thinks man has value in and of himself. Man only has value from an eternal viewpoint when he's reconciled to God. Now we will look at how the enemy intends to entrap man and I'll continue to preach or to bring forth the Scriptures on this subject as we continue. I'm Sam Solon, and we'll talk some more about these matters.